Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, let's get started. Today is going to be a great day. I have been really excited to share with you what I'm going to share with you today. And so um, let's do it. All right, here's the deal. I, uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, we're going to talk a little bit about our building and about money today. There's four things I want to say before we get going. Number one, this is very rare. Uh, we have been a church for just over five years, and uh, I think that we have uh, touched on the issue of money and giving three times up to this point. So five times 52 Sundays, what is that? That's, I was liberal arts, five times five is 20, 20 okay, 250 Sundays. And out of those about three, we've talked about money. That's a pathetic job on my part, quite honestly. So I repent of not doing a better job along these lines, teaching you the whole counsel of God's word. So uh, we're going to try and correct that today and in the coming years, just do a better job along that line. Secondly, as we talk about money today, I want to really listen to me now. If you are a visitor here today uh, and you are not part of Crosspoint, you're a Christian maybe, but you're not part of Crosspoint, we're... We, uh, this is not directed at you, although I think the principles that I'm going to share today apply to all Christians, but this is not directed at you. There's not going to be any uh, jack-in-the-box offering at the end. You know, I'm not going to tug at your emotions and take Old Testament verses out of context and talk about seed and harvest and blessing a lot and then spring another offering on you or anything like that. Nothing like that. No thermometers on the stage, you know, with red paper mache. Nothing like that. Um, this is just something that we need to do for the health of our church as we go forward and be very clear about where we are. Thirdly, if you are, and this is particularly uh, a point of passion for me, is if you are not a Christian here today, and I hope that we always have people who are in their progression of faith, discovering where Jesus is, who Jesus is, and you're here today, and you may realize that you're not a Christian. If that's you today, I am particularly glad that you are here today. I think probably the instinct of most churches and pastors would be, oh, I I, I wish that that person wouldn't be here on the day that we're going to kind of do sort of a family meeting and have a talk about where we stand on some issues because I'd rather that they be here when we talk more clearly from the scriptures about Jesus. But here's the deal. I suspect that one of the reasons why maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're not really involved in a church if you are a Christian is probably because some of the shadiness and manipulative goofiness that goes on in churches when it comes to money. And so I pray today that by God's grace, today might be a strange encouragement to you that you would see a group of people who are trying to do this well and trying to do it biblically and trying to do it humbly. And here's the last thing I want to say is that ultimately today is not about buildings and sheetrock and uh, rooms that we're putting money in or sound systems or money or giving. But ultimately today is about Jesus. And so we want to make that clear. So here's what we're going to do to to do this. We're going to Use 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as a sort of launching point for us. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians is um, about midway through the New Testament. You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, and Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. Now, we generally preach through books of the Bible here. In fact, we're coming to the end of our Colossians series. We're going to finish that up about mid-June. We're obviously not going to be in Colossians today. And, but today, we're doing something a little different. We're going to just kind of parachute down into the middle of a book and use uh, part of this chapter as a sort of launching point for us. And we're going to unpack some of the truth in this chapter about generosity and giving. But that can be really dangerous because what you can end up doing is you can potentially take things out of context and preachers sometimes, if they're not careful, can use verses to manipulate things that they want. We don't want to do that today. So let me give you a little bit of a background of what's going on in 2 Corinthians. Paul has planted this church years before and he had a, a, a kind of a loving but yet contentious relationship with the Corinthian church. They were incredibly gifted people. They had lots of resources, and they also had lots of spiritual gifts that God had given them. But they were also very, very carnal. They were very, very selfish. They uh, were mixed up with a lot of sexual immorality and pagan worship. And so there was a whole lot of trouble in the Corinthian church. But yet Paul was very thankful for them. And so he wrote them two letters that we have in the Bible. And he actually wrote them another letter that is lost But what's going on here is Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians, 
wrote to the Corinthians asking them to take up a collection or an offering for some of the saints in the the Jerusalem area because they were very needy. And so he's asking them to give and be generous for this ministry cause. And in between the first and second letter of Corinthians, there arose in the Corinthian church a sort of faction of people who began to challenge Paul's leadership and say that Paul wasn't truly an apostle of Jesus for a couple reasons. Number one, because he was going through so much suffering and physical persecution and trial. And so it's kind of like the early seeds of the health and wealth gospel that is prevalent on TV in America that says that if you are truly blessed, things will be easy for you, which is a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Don't get me started, though, because that's not in the scope of today's sermon. But Paul writes 2 Corinthians to refute their allegations that he's not a true apostle of Jesus because he's enduring suffering. In fact, he goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction. He says that the fact that I'm going through this stuff is actually evidence of my true apostleship of Jesus, but I don't have time to unpack that beautiful truth, which we are uh, allergic to in America, aren't we? But anyway, again, uh, I digress. And the second thing that he is writing them to, amongst many other things, is he's, they are challenging him and the sincerity of his collection, saying that uh, he's probably involved in some sort of selfish gain here for this collection that he's receiving for the saints in Jerusalem. And so this little faction of the church is, is criticizing him for that. And so of the many purposes of 2 Corinthians, he's writing to defend his ministry and to defend his motivation for this collection that he's asking them to give. And so that's where we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read uh, the first few verses of 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to transition out of the scriptures to give you kind of a report of the building and where we stand financially. And then we're going to go back into 2 Corinthians 8 and make some points that I believe the Holy Spirit would have us hear and understand and apply to our lives today. All right, is that a deal? Okay, let's go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's read, let's pray, let's make some points about the building, then let's go back to the text. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's going to start off by encouraging them through the testimony of another church, the Macedonian church. So he begins this chapter with encouragement about how generous this other church is and he wants to use that example to encourage the Corinthians and then he bores down into what he wants the Corinthians to do. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, 
not according to what he does not have. Well, I think that will be sufficient. We'll cover those verses in just a moment. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for today for your grace. We are amazed at how good you are to us. We are so thankful for moving upon us last week and how generous this church is to the work of God in India and the work of God in Bibb City. You talk about opposite ends of the spectrum of human need and yet the ministry of just this little upstart local church is, is being used for the glory of God, the refreshing of the saints down the street and across the world and God, we are very thankful for that. Lord, now as we open up your book and as we take a look at where we are and as we do sort of a family meeting around the kitchen table, I pray, first of all, that you would let encouragement rise in our hearts. I pray that today you would lift our gaze from from sheets with numbers on them and that you would let us see the glory and the goodness of Christ and how Columbus and Harris County and Muskogee County and Fort Benning and Phoenix Phoenix City and the whole Chattahoochee Valley doesn't need a nice comfortable building but they need Jesus and that how you God call us as your children who have been redeemed by Christ and his work on the cross to not just respond to you with our occasional religious works, but to give you our very heart so that we might be conduits of your blessings and not cul-de-sacs of your goodness. And so, God, would you give us an unusual joy as we think about things that ordinarily might not be so exciting. And God, then, if there be anybody in this room who does not know Jesus, would you give us the kind and unusual grace to, to let your spirit grab a hold of their hearts? And even as we're talking about buildings and money and generosity, God, would you let, would you let that reflect and would you let it then cause their eyes to see and savor Jesus and what he did on the cross, the one who became poor so that we might become rich. And God, would you let them know by your Holy Spirit as only you can that they are accountable to a just and holy, righteous, good, and loving creator and that they need to be saved and born again and receive Jesus today. And God, would you do that? Now would you help us as we think about these things? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some numbers real quickly we're going to go through. I'm going to tell you what we've spent so far, what we project the whole project is going to cost, and then uh, we're going to go back into 2 Corinthians. So this is what we've spent so far uh, on the build-out of formerly Mansours, formerly Zoo City, about to be Crosspoint. Um, we've spent about $10,000, and there's another uh, chunk of change to be spent where we put down a deposit on the chairs, and um, uh, I think this goes without saying that they'll be just a little bit more comfortable than what you're sitting in right now. <laughs> um, they are going to be uh, awesome. We've spent uh, about eight, $8,800 on computer equipment. If you haven't been by, the sign is up on the outside of the building. There still needs to be a marquee that's going to be out in the front of the shopping center, but uh, the Signs Incorporated guys were really generous. We, we uh, were thinking that was going to cost us about $20,000, which it would have normally. But they donated their labor free and also donated the sign out by the front. But you can go by the building and the sign Crosspoint Church is up. That cost us a little under $12,000. The architect out of Atlanta, um, CDH Partners, an excellent and very reputable and competent architectural firm that was helping us along the way. Uh, we spent about $22,000 on them. That's actually quite low as well. And then our general contractor, our dear friend and brother John Teeples, who many of you know, who is uh, overseeing this project for us. We have spent um, about $175,000 so, so far in that portion. And that's not just all to him. Now, he's the general contractor. And if you're not familiar with kind of how buildings work, even how your house is built, there's one general contractor who oversees the whole project, and he lines up all these sub-companies that do, you know, the paint and the carpet and the electrical and the plumbing and the bathrooms and the sheetrock and all that kind of stuff. And so he's sort of the project manager, and he pays all of them. So we pay him instead of us paying, you know, 10 different other little companies, and he pays all of the bills for us through what we give him, and he pays all the subcontractors. And so in total, we have spent about... Uh, $230,000 so far. So that's kind of what we spent so far. By the way, if you want further breakdown of all of this, John 
our general contractor has given us a very, very detailed, down to the penny of everything that he spent on subs, and you are more than welcome to um, have access to that or sit down with us and we'll explain it all to you. So that's what we have spent so far. Now, just to give you kind of an overarching view, you can go to the next slide and we're going to give you kind of the projected cost of the building. And this is a little bit small, but we wanted to fit it all on one screen. So that's what we've spent so far, 228000 Now just kind of push that number aside because now we're going to give you sort of what the whole thing is going to cost as we've kind of updated along the way. And so within these numbers, that 228000 that we've already spent is kind of in there somewhere. Okay, so those two numbers don't necessarily um, uh, mesh uh, quite directly. But this is the projected project cost. This is everything that we need for the construction, the build-out, and FF&E, which means uh, uh, furniture, fixtures, and equipment. That's just kind of all the stuff that goes in the building beyond the walls and the electrical and air conditioning. We're spending about $3,400 on a kid's check-in system, which, by the way, Will Hawk and his wife, Karen Ann, have done a fabulous job investigating. We're going to have really this state-of-the-art check-in system. You're going to have a little kiosk little thing, and you're just going to do a little scanner and if you're a regular attender at cross point and your kids are in our system which they will be after you input them it'll just be as easy as scanning your little thing like those little Dixie things and you just it'll crank out uh, stickers for your kids and for you you won't have to check in in every room it'll be it is an excellent excellent system we're going to have four different portals in the lobby where you can check in that is that is an excellent improvement for us so we spent uh, about $3,400 on that Computer servers network, which are going to help with that system, and in the office, a little shy of $3,000. By the way, we have saved thousands of dollars on that as well, because Fred Parks, who's part of the church, is a computer expert with a capital E, and then guru in parentheses, and he is basically donating his expertise, his, his intellectual uh, labor for free and blessing us, so we're, we're just getting by pennies on the dollar for our computer stuff. Kids' room furniture, that's the nurseries. We're going to outfit six different rooms and the kids' church area. We've got to put you know, all sorts of you know, cabinets and, and supplies in there, tables and chairs for the kids. We need to uh, upgrade, so we'll be spending about $18,000 on that. Um, chairs, uh, we've got about 21000 more to spend on that. The signs has already been um, paid for. Office furniture in our office area. We're going to spend uh, around 5000 on that. Phone, 6000 Sanctuary sound and video. This is a big ticket item. And uh, one of the, basically all of our consultants have said, hey, you do a good job building this place out, make it comfortable. But one thing you've got to have is the ability to hear and a sound system that is adequate for this size of a space. I mean, we're going to have a sanctuary that is about, 10 to 12,000 square feet, and you can't roll out the little radio shack thing, you know, start plugging stuff up. I mean, you, you got to have it work. And $120,000, there's a company out of Auburn, Auburn Audiovisual. They're experts in this field. They do a lot of churches. They do, uh, they do all the, the athletics for uh, the University of Auburn. I didn't even know they had an athletic program, but evidently they do. And they, they oh, I'm sorry, that was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But... Um, they, so they're very experienced with that. Listen, on this number here, easily we could spend three, four hundred thousand dollars outfitting this amount of square footage. So we're we're really going middle grade here on this, and it will be an upgrade from what we have. Believe me. Sanctuary lighting um, will be about twenty-five thousand dollars. We got again. You got to hear, and you got to be able to see. The youth room, which we're keeping mainly unfinished, we're going to kind of earmark $10,000 for improvements that we'll do ourselves on that. Security system, got to have an alarm, 52,000 square feet, costs a little bit. Um, The subtotal that we've already spent, about uh, $228,000, plus what uh, John, the general contractor, thinks the whole project is going to cost, about $750,000. So if you kind of add those two things together, we're looking at about $980,000. Now, if you remember, that's a couple hundred thousand more than what we anticipated a few months ago when we started this project. And that's to be expected. That's just kind of the way building projects go. And so let me give you kind of a reason why we're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars more and why the increase. If you go to a, a blueprint of the building, there's a couple primary reasons why we're going to end up spending. This is what our original blueprint was for the building. This up here is the huge parking lot in the back. 
Um, and then, you know, on this side is kind of where like where Blockbuster Video is and, you know, the restaurants. And so this will be the main entrance. And this is the offices, kids' rooms, sanctuary. And this was going to be unfinished space. And we were thinking this was going to be kind of our elementary age kids' church. That was what we were kind of basing our figures off when we first leased this building. But we quickly realized that we needed more space for our children's ministry. If you've been in the, um, the building, you realize that these two rooms right here, which we thought were going to be our elementary age kids, kids space, is just not big enough. So we've kind of transitioned the use of these rooms to be kind of Bible study rooms, breakout rooms, utility rooms, different sort of adult teaching rooms. And what we have done, which is not reflected on this particular blueprint, is this little corner of this previously unfinished space we have now enclosed and made into our elementary age kids church room, which is going to be excellent. I mean, it is dedicated to them. It will be set up, decorated well for them. And so just the build out of that additional, I don't know how much that is, maybe maybe four, five, six thousand square feet um, cost a, a chunk of change. And then we also realized that right in here, it were the only bathrooms that were existing in when it used to be Mansour's in Zoo City. And there was about three or four uh, toilets for men and about five or six for women. And we quickly realized that if we were going to put some kids over here, that we really needed some more adult bathrooms. And, and all of you women, I think, will, will come to appreciate that. And so we put a whole other bank of adult bathrooms right here. And by the way, in addition, each child room is going to have uh, access to a little kitty uh, 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 bathroom as well. So that'll be very convenient. So you don't have to take the kids all the way out there. And so with the addition of this space and then the addition of this bathroom, and then with sort of the admission that this was going to be gathering space here, we also ran into an increase in costs with the fire marshal, because when you begin to say that you're going to occupy this space, um, you have to do some things to meet the fire code. Now, of course, the whole building was already sprinklered, but when you call this a gathering space, what happens is, is that when the alarms go off, they need to be in large assembly type places. There's some code and I'm, I'm getting out. I'll probably end up making a mistake here. But if you're one of our uh, firemen that comes to the church, you can correct me later. But um, if you have a bunch of people here gathering in a church sort of setting and you have a large sound system and kids playing music and uh, a, a PA system going on, if uh, there's a code that if a fire alarm goes off, that there needs to be an electrical break that would trip those breakers and cause the sound system to go off so that everybody gathering, hearing that loud music, and there will be loud music going on in this portion of the building with the kids, that that needs to trip so that they can hear the fire alarm. And so that's kind of a special wiring that costs some money. And so for those reasons... Um, and a few small little things along the way, uh, it's going to end up costing us more. But again, we are being very, very, very frugal, and um, we're going to be able to do all of this uh, for, for, listen to this now, this is, this is really, if you've ever built a house or you've ever built a commercial building, we're building out about 52,000 square feet for about $18 a square foot. That is staggeringly low. People don't do that. And if you were building a house right now, it would cost about $120 a square foot. If you were building a commercial space, $70 to $80 a square foot, we're going to do it for $18 a square foot, which is really, really low. A couple things I want you to note. Number one, a lot of the stuff that we're filling these rooms with, like our sound systems and the, the, the furniture and tables and chairs and equipment, a lot of that, a good portion of that 970 uh, $970,000 that we're going to spend, a good portion of that is stuff that will go with us wherever we go, whether we stay here longer or whether we, uh, whether we move somewhere else. So a, some, a good fraction of this goes with us. And I want to just remind us that this is still a fraction of what it would cost us to build new. For us to duplicate this amount of space in this particular location with this convenience it would cost us nowhere, nowhere less than $5 million. And so we're able to, and I'm sure it would be much more than that, actually, when you talk about land and all of that. And so this is allowing us to have a place for the next five to seven years or longer, depending on where we are, that uh, we can get into debt-free and poise ourselves as a church for what is next. Now, here's the deal, though. 
that, uh, and re- really the reasons, one of the reasons why we're talking to you today is that we started this endeavor with about $950,000 in our money market account and about seventy dollars or $80,000 in our checking account. So just a little over a million dollars we had kind of cumulatively. Remember that figure, we're going to end up spending probably around somewhere in the neighborhood of $980,000. And so over these couple months, we're going to pretty much deplete a vast majority of our resources. We are not going into debt at all, but we are, we are pretty much going to use up all of our margin uh, on this building. And I think it's going to be a great expenditure for us. It's going to poise us to be in a place to grow more. And so we're not worried about that at all, but we do feel that we need to talk to you about giving today in particular for three reasons today. There's three reasons why today we're doing what we're doing. And those are three reasons why we need to give in particular. Number one, and this is an order of importance, why we need to give and why we need to talk about this today is that we want to be able to continue to be generous. We, we're, we're cinching up the belt, so to speak, and, and in the past, if somebody came from India, pastor and a missionary, or Highlands Church, we could just give. We could just give, 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 give. We, have, we give at a minimum 10% of our income away to ministries and missionaries outside of Crossport. We do not want, as we reduce our margin basically down to just nothing, we don't want that to cause us to now sort of self-consciously or subconsciously become self-absorbed. We want to continue to be a very generous church. And so we want you to give so that we can build that margin back up so that we can continue to be extravagantly generous. Secondly, and this is very important, we need to give so that we can add more staff. Uh, we do not know what going, moving into this location into a much higher demographic population centered area will do, we suspect it will cause the church to grow. We've got about 350 people that would call Cross Point home now, and we are doing this basically with uh, just three full-time employees and, a, and some part-time folks. If we move into town, which we're going to do at the end of July, early August, we could go from a church of 350 to 500, or maybe even more by the end of the year easily. There are very few of any churches of 500 in America that have two pastors on staff and a office manager and nothing else. That, that is, you would put that in the box called unwise if, if you were trying to do ministry effectively. And so we need to add more staff. And here's the great blessing we have, friends. We don't have to go, we don't have to go look for people outside of the church. We've got, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a spectacular spectacularly gifted team that God has gathered here. And we want to be able to, if it be the Lord's will and if it be the desire of these folks like Reynold, I mean, come on, Reynold is bivocational. He works as a pharmaceutical rep and he serves the church many, many hours after work. Could we find a better associate pastor, executive pastor guy in, in the country? No. God in his graciousness has moved on the heart of this man to pour out and to have a desire for the word. We, we could do no better. And one of my great desires would be that we could say to a Reynolds or a Paul, could we come up with a better worship leader? We could do a nationwide search and we could not find somebody better suited for the ministry that God has given us as a church. And so one of the things that we want to be able to do is not, and this is a scriptural principle in 1 Corinthians 9, not muzzle the ox is what Paul says. He says, don't make it hard for the ox to plow the field. And he's using that as an analogy. So free up, give so that people can work and dedicate their lives to vocational ministry. And so we want to give so that we can continue to be generous and so that we can add more staff. And we sort of feel like we may need to do that soon. We may need to do that soon. And thirdly, we need to give so that we can be prepared for action on future property, whether that might be a year from now or two years from now, we're going to continue to look and we want to be able to be poised should there be a piece of property or something that we want to move on, we want to be able to do that quickly. So those are the three reasons we need to give. Now let's go back to our text and give me about 15 minutes and share with you, I believe, some truths out of these scriptures about giving. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he is saying to them, hey, look at the example of these Macedonians and how generous they are, and I want you to do the same thing. 
So I'm going to give you three reasons that the Macedonians excelled in their giving, then a couple reasons and encouragements that Paul gives to the Corinthians to us, and then four encouragements very quickly for everybody that calls Cross Point home. Number one, the Macedonians excelled in the grace of giving because they gave despite their circumstances, not because of it. Look at verse two in chapter eight of 2 Corinthians. Paul says about these Macedonian generous givers, he said, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that counterintuitive? It seems like Paul would say, hey, because there was a recession and because there was the stock market just hit the bottom that, you know, it's kind of, it's not really a good time. And so can you pick up where the Macedonians were lacking? That's exactly the opposite of what Paul says. He says that they were poor and they were under affliction and this produced in them even more generosity. That's counterintuitive. You know, I think I've shared this with you before. In fact, I know I have. Do you know the poorest state in the union per capita is? Mississippi. You know the most generous state in the union as far as charitable giving per capita income is? Mississippi. There's just something about there's something about that with these Macedonians and with the Mississippians. <laughs> And hopefully with us, you would think, well, Brad, in this time of economic recession, I realize times are difficult. That's why we don't beat people over the head. And we're going to talk about amounts to give in just a moment. But listen, there's something that smells like Jesus when we run counter to the culture and we give in spite of what is going on around us. It becomes a particular display of God's sufficiency over the sufficiency of stuff. Two, they gave sacrificially beyond their means Verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. These past five years, we have accumulated in our money market account and in our checking account just a little over $1 million. And friends, here's just the truth. Some of you have been very, very generous, but quite frankly, as a church body, we have not sacrificed at all. That $1 million that we have accumulated that we are now paying for this building with cash has just sort of been excess. We have not done one building campaign. I mean, in five years, 250-something Sundays, I've talked about money three times. And so here's the great news is we haven't even made this an emphasis and we're paying for it. And now Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give like the Macedonians because they gave sacrificially, not just according to their means. Thirdly, and this is so critical, they gave themselves not just their money. Verse five, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's something about American Christians where we tend to just sort of rely on our bounty and our blessing in this country. We do fuel the gospel's work primarily. I think 75% of, of money that goes to missions comes from America, probably more than that. But God doesn't want us as a church to just write a check or to give a little bit more when the church needs it or the missionary needs it. He, I think he wants our very hearts. And so those are the three things that Paul, he, he, he praises the Macedonians and encourages the Corinthians in those three ways. And then he moves into four different reasons, four quick reasons, four encouragements for the Corinthians and us. Number one, giving proves the genu- genuineness of our love. Verse eight. Paul writes and he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Look, here's the bottom line. We, we sort of recoil at this sort of talk like, oh, don't, don't, don't pin me down. And look, we're not pinning anybody down. We're just saying that the, the cold, real, beautiful truth is that oftentimes we have a confession on our mouths, but our hands don't follow. Paul says, that the genuineness of our faith is proved in this instance by many other things, but in this instance to the Corinthians, and I believe he would say to us as well, by our giving. Point number two, don't just desire to give, Paul would tell the Corinthians and us, but actually give or start giving. Verse 10 and 11, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So verse 11, so now finish doing it as well so that the readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. I can tell you that early on in our marriage, Jennifer and I, she's working in the nursery today, 
we were not as consistent in giving as we could be. And I can remember thinking as a young husband trying to lead well in this area, thinking, oh, well, when we, when we do this, or when we get this promotion, when we get a better job, or when we pay this thing off, then I'll, then I'll, there's really, you can rationalize that for the rest of your life. We're not asking you to go into deep debt. And if you are in a mess financially, we're not asking, look, there is no trick here. We do not, look, this health and wealth gospel that basically worships a karma demigod that says if you give then god will get you out of some mess that you've been in no no there's no there's no weird manipulation here if you're in if you're in financially a mess here's what we want you to do we want you to get out of debt we don't want you to give hoping to trick god into some blessing as if god says oh they just totally blew their life for the past 10 years and now oh but they gave oh well now i'm obligated (laughs) that's not the way the god of the universe operates and it's not the way we want to push on your soul. So if you're in a mess financially, come talk to us. Reynold is very wise in this area. Take our financial peace class. Build yourself. Get yourself out of that so that you can be in a position to be healthy and be a generous giver for the rest of your life. But don't just desire to give for the rest of us. Actually start giving. Number three, your heart, not the size of your gift, makes your gift acceptable. Look at verse 12. For if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Look, I think that probably some of us think, oh, well, there's this other person in the church and they'll do it. I don't really have much. What good could my little thing do? Listen, Paul clearly says that what makes our giving acceptable is not the size of it, but the heart behind it. And if our readiness or our earnestness is there, then it's acceptable to God. And rather than relying on a few people, it is so much more healthy and smells so much more like an interdependent body of Jesus if all of us do our part rather than just assuming that some of the people who are more blessed financially among us will carry the load for us. That is not good thinking, so I encourage all of us to give. And then, most importantly, number four, we reflect Jesus when we give. He says in verse eight and nine, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, for, we, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, this clearly says that the Jesus, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And friends, let me just pause for a moment talking about money. If you are not a Christian and you are not yet a recipient of God's grace. You need to know this all-important truth, and this is really our whole message here at Crosspoint, is that you are accountable to a holy God, that the Bible says clearly that all people everywhere, every human being, has rebelled against God. And that rebellion has brought on our heads more than just a diminished life. It has brought with it the certain just punishment of God and separation from him for all eternity. And as a response to my rebellion and your rebellion, God sent Jesus to empty himself out as a sacrifice on the cross for all who would trust and believe in Jesus. And so if you have not done that today, today is the day that you have heard that message and I encourage you to trust and believe in Jesus. But clearly Paul, in regards to giving, he uses what Jesus did for us as a motivation to the Corinthians to give. We are most like Jesus when we give. Finally, I end with this. Four quick encouragements for every person that calls Crosspoint home. If you're not from Crosspoint, this does not apply to you. And by the way, just as I always like to add in anytime we're talking about money, I personally don't ever touch the money or find out or know anything about who gives. I don't, I don't know who gives or who doesn't except for me and Jennifer. That's it. And the dollar that I slip my kids before kids' church. That's the only, that's the only giving I am aware of here. I am not privy to that information. I don't set my own salary. All that kind of stuff is out of my hands. And if you're not from Crosspoint, this is not for you. But there's four encouragements that I would have for every person that calls Crosspoint home. First is to give. To give something. If you're not already giving, give something. Now, we don't have time to talk about it in the scope of this message, but the question that always hits us is, do we, are we uh, biblically mandated in the New Testament to tithe, which is a word that means 10% of your income. I don't believe that we are. 
I think that's a part of the Old Testament law. And although Jesus sort of endorses it sort of second-handedly in his, uh, in his discussions with some of the religious leaders at the time, I believe that the balance of the New Testament witness is, is that we are to be radically generous in all that we have, that everything we have, not just 10%, but that everything we have is to be given to God as a response. The only real admonition that I see clearly in scriptures about a percentage is given in 2 Corinthians. It's really not about a percentage, but just one chapter over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I think the admonition is, is that we should just be generous in all that we have. So for some people, that may be 5% or 2%. Or for some people, it may be 15 or 20. Who knows where that is? Don't get caught up in a percentage because here's what our religious hearts love to do. If we are giving 10% of our income, it is very easy for us to be proud in that and then treat God like an Eastern karma deity saying, now God, you owe me something. The gods must be happy with me because I'm doing this. And that's not the Bible. That's self-righteousness. And so that's why when we hang our hat on 10% or when we feel guilty for not giving 10%, we are slipping so easily into self-works, works-based righteousness. And that's the antithesis of the New Testament. And so give. As you have decided in your heart, not under compulsion, but without reluctance and cheerfully. So for some of you, that may mean just a little bit of your income at this particular point in your life. For some of you, it may mean a whole lot of your income. But whatever it is, give. Secondly, give regularly. Give regularly. Make it a lifestyle. That's why we're not passing a plate. That's why I'm kind of toned it down, believe it or not, if you're a visitor for this message. Because we don't want to tug on your heartstrings. We want this to be a regular part of our life as a church. Third, give us a priority. Look, we encourage the giving to other Christian ministries, but I think, and we could talk more about this later, I think that the witness of the New Testament is that every Christian should join a local church. I don't think the New Testament makes much sense unless you see it in the context of a group of people who have submitted themselves to qualified leadership, who are living together, fulfilling the one another's of Scripture, practicing the ordinances of water baptism and the Lord's Supper and disciplining themselves together as a group of people. So I think that the New Testament is written to the context of a group of people who are joining local churches. I think you should join a local church. If you are a Christian, I think, that it, I think you need to do that. And I think that that local church, again, needs to be the place where the priority of your given, giving happens. I think that's the clear witness of the balance of the New Testament. And fourthly, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Well, those are my formal thoughts. And now I just want to end with this. Friends, I have not served you well over the past five years because I've taught kind of poorly and reluctantly in this area. But by God's grace, I'm maturing as a pastor. And we are in great shape as a church. And I am so thankful that we are able to pay for this build out of our new location without going into debt. And I am so grateful for those of you who are just foundations and pillars of generosity and stability in this church. But it's on that platform that with every bit of sincerity and earnestness that I stand before you today and I just say, hey, friends, this is where we are. I want to unashamedly ask you to continue to be generous. In fact, there would be more widespread generosity in our church. Why? Because we're not just building a church for ourselves or having more comfortable chairs or a good sound system that we can hear or a check-in system for our children. But because the Chattahoochee Valley needs a church and a group of people who are giving their whole lives as a response to Jesus, the vast majority of us, in fact, all of us, are pretty much ordinary people. And I think the best chance that we have to make an impact, a lasting impact, is together, to come together as a church and make the building of a healthy, Jesus-exalting, Bible-saturated, gospel-centered church the primary work of our lives for the kingdom. And I wish I had time to tell you the things that are happening in this church with these people 
the stories of gospel change. Just this week, I sat down with a young husband here at this church that's been with us from the beginning and just listening to his heart softened over the course of these past five years to the gospel and how internally he was resistant to some of the things that God was putting on his heart, but through the witness of the community of faith here and the preaching of the word here and the fellowship of the saints here, God is getting a hold of that young husband's heart. He is now modeling Christ for his wife and children and he is changing the destiny in the course of his life. Had lunch, head over to our house this week, a young soldier who been called up on reserve duty and who God is getting a hold of here through the witness of this church and to see how very difficult his life has been up to this point, his father leaving him as a young child, him having this father wound, and now to see the gospel sink down into his heart and to see him begin to change and to see the glory of Christ begin to shine in his face. Friends, that's why we need a great church because if you haven't been reading the papers, not only Fort Benning is right on our doorstep, but Fort Knox is moving south and there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of more soldiers. And we live in a time where we're fighting wars on two fronts and we have military families who are stretched thin. Some of our men have been over there seven or eight times. Their marriages are falling apart. We need a gospel-centered church who will preach Jesus to these men and women who are serving our country. We, we, need, we need generous people in Crosspoint because we have got work to do. I had lunch a couple weeks ago with a young, another young husband at Crosspoint, and he's had terrible things happen to him as a young person, and there's just been this deep and biting insecurity in his life up to this point, but the gospel is beginning to sink down into his life and is changing his destiny and the destiny of his wife and the destiny of his children because there's a group of pardoned rebels called Crosspoint who don't care about stuff and prestige and social acclaim. They, they're just a group of people who are struggling to live out the one and others of scripture who care more about Jesus than they do anything else. And he's seeing the collective witness of that and he's hearing the scriptures taught unabashedly, unashamedly and directly and in a clear way. And it's getting a hold of his life and it's changing his life. I wish, I wish he could just sit up here and tell you about the good things that are happening in him, but on the other side of the spectrum, friends, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a marriage that is crumbling, and a husband who is wayward, and he needs a cadre of men, not just one or two who are committed to ministry, but he needs a cadre of men. He needs a collective witness of people who would go after him and rescue him so that he would not wreck his life and his marriage and the lives of his wife and children. We need a great church, friends, and churches are built on the generosity and the obedience of saints because what we need is not a building with nice paint and color and comfortable seats and $120,000 sound systems or convenient locations. Friends, we need a group of people who all of the arrows of their life are pointed towards the renown and the fame and the glory of Jesus and who see everything that they have as a response to him. And so, friends, I ask you unashamedly, number one, be generous. Number two, if you don't know Jesus, give your life to him because he is the center and the point of everything. And I cannot wait, oh, I cannot wait, I cannot wait to exhaust and to spend the balance of the next 30 years of my life, should God give them to me, preaching the gospel with the support and the teamwork and the effort of a bunch of people, ordinary people, who are giving everything they have to the building of the local church the glory of Jesus, and for the good of his people. And I can't wait to do that with you. And there's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. I cannot tell you how good God has been in my life, friends, to bring me here. Let me fall in love with a red-haired girl that takes my one-syllable name and makes it into two. Brian. And I cannot tell you how much I love you and how much I love doing life with you. And so I ask you to help us make Jesus glorious in our valley.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, for your goodness to us. And for how you've blessed this church. God, first of all, as we've talked about what you've done through us and how we're going to be able to do this with the money that's already been given, and as we dream about the future, God, first of all, I, I pray humility for myself and this group of people. God, Romans 12 says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than, than we ought to, but we should consider our lives with sober judgment. God, Crosspoint has so much work to do. We are, we are very much a work in progress. We are not all that you want us to be, but God, in your kindness, in spite of us, not because of us, but in spite of us, you have been so kind and so gracious. You are changing lives through the feeble witness of this ragtag group of pardoned rebels. And God, all glory and all praise goes to you for that. And now, God, not because we want to be great. In fact, if there is any selfishness here, if there's any sense in me or in any of us that we want, we want to have some sort of public or community acclaim from this, that we want to kind of be part of the happening church, if, if there's any part of that that's seeping in here, if there's anything in me that... It's sort of self-focused that I just kind of want to be sort of the, the, the well-known progressive young pastor in town. God, if there's any of that in me, God, would you crucify it? God, I daily confess and repent of my self-worship and pride, and I do it again. And God, if it exists in our body, if there's anything in us that just wants to be part of the happening place, God, would you crucify it and if it lingers if we don't repent of that God would you cause this place to tank and would you let all of these good people go somewhere else because they don't need a church that is self-absorbed our city our valley it doesn't need a church that is self-absorbed that skims Christians off from other churches that detracts from the community witness of the gospel for their own sake God we don't need a church like that but God I believe that Columbus does need a church that is radically generous, radically humble, radically Christ-centered, radically committed to the scriptures, radically committed to the clarity of the preaching of the truth of your word, God, so that many people would come and revel in the glory of Jesus. So God, would you make us that type of place? And would you help us respond? God, you don't need anything. You don't need our stuff. But in your kindness, you've made the means, the giving of your people is part of the glory of your fame and renown. So God, would you make us generous, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.